Well, I was just thinking, uh, we can exhaust ourselves with the praises. Amen? It'd never be enough. We could, uh, we could go to our grave exhausted in praising uh, the Lord for His Son, Jesus Christ. What a blessed day. If you've got your outline, you can follow pretty closely to it. Uh, you know, when it's your 33, 33rd time to preach a Christmas uh, sermon, <clears throat> uh, I'm telling you, I'm preaching what I've never preached before. And uh, what can I say? Uh, we are celebrating a, the birth, not the birth of just anybody, not, not just the birth of a newborn babe. We are celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a great day. Let me read uh, an abbreviated version of the, the passage, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Just could you, uh, could you get a, just, you know, could you just get a, get a, get a feel for the, the evening, the night? And the shepherds out in the field, the quietness, the stillness of it, they'd been there before. They'd experienced that many times. And they're about to encounter something they'd never encountered before, a supernatural occurrence, the one that was to change the world forever was to come as a babe. It's just uh, no way for us to... Uh, you know, we've, we've all had some of those encounters. We've been somewhere, uh, something really significant happened. But uh, this was a supernatural happening and recorded for the world to celebrate uh, for eternity. So in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Oh, we could talk all day long. Why those shepherds? Uh, stinky old shepherds. Might have had a spit bath, might have uh, bathed with the sheep in the last spell ago, but uh, nobody else that anybody thought much about. And they were just doing what they were here to do, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. <clears throat> for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, What? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into, the he into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us, made known to us. And they went with haste, and Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And maybe this morning you've never 
it's really never been made known to you this morning. You've, you've experienced Christmas and you've been in Christmas services, but this morning it's being made known to you that Jesus Christ came as a babe, was born into the world under these circumstances. Verse 16, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. May God bless the reading of the word and now the preaching of his word. So there's a lot of fuss and a lot of stir about Christmas time. Uh, I, I, I experienced Walmart yesterday afternoon, uh, oh, about 3 o'clock. Uh, I wouldn't want to experience it this afternoon. And by the way, I went incognito and I only saw one church member. And uh, I'm not sure they recognized me at the time, but I hadn't shaved since last Sunday. I had on work clothes and I kind of went incognito and, and Walmart is full of people. So, so what's, what's all the fuss about? What's all the money spent about? So how did we get to this place in our society that we've taken this lowly birth that was reported to the shepherds that happened in a manger and turned it into what we have it, it is being today. How in the world did that happen? I want to give you just a little bit of history. Christmas is a popular December holiday celebrated by large numbers of people all around the world. All around the world. Christmas, called also the Mass of Christ, has long been known as the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, began to be observed in the early 4th century, early 300s. However, some traditions associated with Christmas actually began as part of a pagan culture, and these have been Christianized and given new meaning by the church, the Catholic church in particular, but the church in general. We all know, or most of you know, that the exact date of the birth of Jesus is unknown. The Bible does not give us specifics as to the dates of either his birth or his conception. For various reasons, the date of December the 25th has gained wide acceptance, and that's the day primarily separated, celebrated everywhere. At the time of Christ, the Roman culture already celebrated a holiday in December. That holiday is called Saturnalia, honoring the god I'm sorry, Saturnalia, honoring the god Saturn, and was celebrated from December the 17th to about December 24th, particularly uh, depending upon the calendar. Later, the Romans began celebrating Sol, Sol Invictus, or the unconquered sun associated with the winter solstice, and observed it on December the 25th. We experienced that on the 21st. The winter solstice, solstice, do you all know what that is? That's the shortest day of the year. 
That is the least uh, uh, hour, hours of daylight of the whole year. And so about two minutes a day up until June the 22nd, we're being, every day will get longer until June the 22nd, and then we'll do it again. I wonder who planned all that. Wow. Matter of fact, there's some places today the sun won't shine. Oh, I'm sorry. So there, were some, there were some places today that on the 20, 21st, the sun didn't shine. Uh, on, I guess the North Pole. And there's some places that uh, it, it affects the poles greater than it affects us here. So when Rome eventually instituted Christianity, when Rome officially instituted Christianity as, quote, the state religion in the 4th century, the Roman church converted Saturnalia and Sol Invictus to a Christian holiday. It was called the Feast of the Nativity in order to commemorate Jesus' birth. This is just a little history of what we have today. And some of you, I'm thinking about Brother Bob and Andreas and, and Deanna probably know way more about this than I do, but I'll give us, uh, I'll give us a little understanding maybe. So what they were trying to do was providing a spiritually positive alternative to a pagan celebration. So the sinful customs and debauchery associated with Saturnalia were cleaned up and some of the customs were absorbed into the celebration of Christmas that we have today. Christians have redeemed December the 25th and have celebrated it as the birth of Christ ever since the 4th century. Now, I wonder in how many homes in America this year that it will never be discussed the real meaning of this holiday. How many? Don't let that happen at your house. Talk about what all of those hundreds of dollars of gifts represent. A gift that can't not be bought with money. A gift that just continues to give, 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 and give. Talk about it. Thank the Lord for it. That we have something like this to celebrate. So given the association Christmas had with the ancient pagan calendar... The question then becomes, since Christmas shares a date with a pagan holiday, is it acceptable for Christians to celebrate it? It's important to know that Christmas, Saturnalia, and Sol Invictus were all and have been always, up until that time, distinct holidays. And they were never identical to each other. And also, although some elements of Christmas celebrations Bells, candles, holly, and yule decorations are mentioned in the history of pagan worship. The use of such item in someone's home in no way indicates a return to being pagans. There's no indication of that but what we do. Christians, that's us, simply celebrate Christmas to do what? To remember, even though the Bible didn't tell us to, It did tell us to remember his death. It did tell us to remember his broken body. 
It did tell us to remember his shed blood. It never told us to remember his birth. But we do, and we can celebrate that. It's not forbidden. And we are simply celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I hope we all have some little gift to get. I surely hope we all have some little gift to give. But if we don't, that's not a necessary part of the the holiday. The necessary part of the holiday is Christ. Him come, Him born, Him living, Him died, Him buried, His three days in the tomb, His resurrection, Him living, Him enthroned at the right hand of the Father, then the soon coming King, we can celebrate Him. Celebrating Christmas is a matter of conscience. I want you to know that if Jaden was here this morning, we counted last Sunday afternoon, there's eight Christmas trees in our house. Okay? But there's not a, quote, Christmas tree in our house. They're all on tables and things like that. So it's a matter of conscience. You know what Romans 14, 5 says. You've got it now in your notes if you don't. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Think about it. Study your conscience. Do whatever the Lord would lead you to do. So today I want us to look at why we celebrate this day. And what I want us to really see this morning is what we are actually celebrating and acknowledging celebrating and acknowledging. We do that with the Lord's Supper. We not only celebrate something, but we acknowledge something too. What stock, hope, faith we're putting in those elements. So I want to tell you this morning, unashamedly, uh, I don't know how many of us, maybe maybe for some of you, maybe, maybe you can think back at the, the best Christmas gift you ever got. That's not me. You know, it just wouldn't come. I I mean, I could stretch. I couldn't ever come. Think about the best gift that ever came. But what y'all look at me, young people. I want to tell you this morning, I want to tell you the greatest gift ever offered and given to mankind. The greatest. A wonderful thing about this gift is money can't buy it. Money can't buy it. It can't be had with money. It's the gift of salvation. It's the gift of eternal life in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greatest gift. That's the gift it will give for eternity. Listen to me. Ephesians 2, 5 through 8. I'm going to read slowly, so that means you can look at it and follow and really deeply think as we allow Pablo to translate. Ephesians 2, 5 through 8. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Salvation, did you hear the scripture? Is a gift of God. We did not deserve it. The Father did not have to send His Son. But He did. And we'll see why in a moment. And it had nothing to do with me and you. If you don't love Ephesians enough, I pray that you might love Romans enough to see what I'm talking about. Romans 5, 6 through 11. So, not only were we dead, but listen to this. While we were still weak, dead, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. You know, you've you've heard it. You've heard it in the past that, you know, somebody might lay down their life for some really good person or some person that was really important or something like that. But how about someone lie, lie, laying down or giving their, their, their life to die for an ungodly person? No one's ever heard of that at all. Verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Weak, dead. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You're talking about a gift. You're talking about a gift that will keep us from spending an eternity in a burning fire with a worm eating on the body that never dies from, from living in that place for eternity to living in heaven with Almighty God and with all the saints for eternity. That is a gift, an inexpressible gift. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, for while we were not only dead, weak, ungodly, sinners, listen to this, we were enemies of God. Literal enemies of Jesus Christ. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. That babe that was sent, that birth that we're celebrating, he lived a perfect life. He became the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God. And God gave him up on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, saved from hell, saved from the wrath of God. More than that, we also rejoice in God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation the gift of salvation says that we have now been reconciled to God. We're in a right relationship with God. 
So I want to keep this thought going about celebrating this. I want to read for you 2 Timothy 1.9. It says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So my point here is this. Salvation is an absolute, free, undeserved gift. A gift that cannot be earned. Grace is unmerited favor. I didn't deserve it. it if, if good is done because it's due, it's not grace. This gift wasn't due to me. So it was grace. If anything is done because it is deserved, deserved or the just thing to do, it's not grace. And it's not unmerited favor. Romans eleven six 6 says this, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. There's some reason that you're getting that gift tonight, tomorrow, whenever it might be, from someone or someone else. You have a relationship with them. They feel some obligation to you. They have some love towards you. You've done something that puts you in the position to get that gift. This gift of salvation that I'm talking about is not like that. Everything that was known about you and me when that gift was bestowed and given was not good, dead, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God. Yet the gift was offered. You know what that makes that gift? That makes that gift really special. Amen? So salvation is not of works, and it's also not of the law. You didn't get it by works, and you didn't get it by the law. The law is in the line of justice and takes us into consideration works. If the law, the key of law, gave life, it would be based on works. But listen to this, Romans 10, 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. All right? I could run the Ten Commandments by you. And there's not a one of you in here, because I know you're honest people, and I know how to answer the questions. There's not a one of you in here can answer the Ten Commandments right and get them all yes. But, hey, that's just ten. Here's all the commandments. You kept them? Well, you don't deserve the salvation because you've kept the law. Romans 10, 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Salvation by the law is impossible. Did you hear that? Impossible. Galatians 3, 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. 
if, if you leave here this morning and somebody says, well, what was yesterday's sermon about? This is it. Salvation is an absolutely undeserved free gift. Free gift. And if that's not the way you got it and received it, you ain't got it. We're going to look at that now too, okay? Okay, so the absolute best gift ever given is salvation, and it's free. I want to tell you two things that come with salvation and I believe there's many, but two primary things that come with salvation this morning as we finish this Christmas, uh, this Christmas message. Seeing that salvation is all of grace, what are the blessings, this morning particularly, what are two blessings which come with salvation that demonstrates that it is all of grace? Everything about our salvation you hear me? Everything from the moment that we're saved and all that we do forward is of grace. All of grace. That there might be no boasting. And today we're going to look at two of those blessings. Just two. You know, I could have, I could have done seven, but uh, probably two is about all we can stand on Christmas morning. Okay? So two. So the greatest gift ever given is what? Salvation. You need to be able to say that. If Christ should, if the angels at the gate should say, what's the greatest gift ever given? You will need, y'all listening? You young people, you older people, you'll need to be able to muster up some stuff coming up from here and it needs to come out through your mouth and off your tongue as is audible. The greatest gift that was ever given is salvation. Number one blessing, the gift of Christ. Hey, there's no, there's no salvation without Christ. He had to come. He had to come as a babe, just like he came, just like we're celebrating. Amen. Why did he have to do it that way? It was prophesied he'd do it that way. I mean, another good chapter to read this, this week, today, tomorrow, Isaiah 53. It's pretty amazing. Isaiah 7, the book of Isaiah, it's pretty amazing. Listen, the gift of Christ to die for us and to be the author of our salvation is all of grace. He did it because that's what the Father gave him to do, not for me or for you. Now, it became for us, hallelujah. We're going to see in a minute why the Father did it, why the Son did it. John three sixteen. here we are. Look at those first three or four words. For God so loved the world. 
No. It couldn't be that a father would give his only begotten son. He couldn't do that. He surely couldn't do it in the way it was done. But what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why did he do it? Because I wanted it to? Because Jesus wanted to? Why did he do it? Because he so loved. Wasn't because of us. 1 John 4, 19. I want to tell you, that's, that's a, you know, we could probably, we could take, I'm sure we could. We could take all year and study the little book of 1 John. Bob taught through it. I've taught through it. It is a great little book. Want to know if you're saved or not? Want to know why God, why God saved you? Read 1 John. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he what? What in the world caused God to give his son as the greatest gift to ever given the gift of salvation? Love. Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. You've heard this before, but this is the greatest. This scripture to me just blesses me. I can't read it too much. Don't think I can give it to you too much. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've been now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Why did God send His Son? For God so loved the world. Romans 8.32 He did not spare His own Son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Just think about this in our life. Just think about what you may need this this day in your life. Just think about what you might need just this day, this just week, just this season, just this time in your life. Think about what that might be. Wellness of body or wellness of mind or something in your family. He gives graciously all things. Without the death of Christ, our salvation was impossible. When y'all were singing the special, I was thinking about Revelation. They look through heaven looking for somebody worthy to open the seal. Huh? There's somebody worthy. No person but the man Christ Jesus. 
They were looking for somebody. They were looking, they were looking, they weren't looking, God knew who it was. Christ is the only one worthy to do what he did. Christ is the only one still worthy to do what he does. Amen? He is worthy. He is worthy. We had no claim on God. He freely forgave his he freely gave his son. All the blessings that flow freely are all given without expectations. Now listen carefully. We're getting some things right here I want you to have to think about. Think seriously about this. If a man thinks that Christ was under some kind of obligations to die for him, he is wrongly thinking. If a man thinks that Christ was under obligations to die for him, he was wrongly thinking. Number two, or that God was bound to give his son as a sacrifice for sin. He's wrongly thinking. If that's the case, he's mistaken on a point that's vital for salvation. You've got to know we did not deserve it. You've got to know that what we deserved was death and eternal punishment. God was under no obligation to save even one. That salvation is by grace is no speculation. It is the heart of salvation, undeserved. If a man is not willing to acknowledge this, they have not received Christ as the Bible says he is to be received. You know what the right way is? I love this scripture, and every time I think about it, it just makes me want to go, go read it. Listen, listen to this. This is in uh, Luke 19. You remember the, uh, the, uh, the parable of 18 or 19? 17 or 18 or 19? Uh, oh, uh, the servant, I'm going to find it. Give me just a second. Luke 18, verse 9. This, this is the only right manner in approaching God. The only right manner. So he also told this parable, the son who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I gave tithes of all that I get. Okay, you know what? He thought he was justified. He thought he deserved something. I told you again, we deserve one thing, death, hell, and eternal judgment. But listen, this is the way to approach God. Listen to the tax collector. 
But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Salvation is by the mercy of God. If you got it by any other way, you didn't get it. It is vitally important that we are clear. Faith and grace are gifts of God given freely of grace. This is what we must understand and embrace. Listen to this, Ephesians 5, 8, 9. Please look at it. For for by grace you have been saved through faith. You see two things there? For by grace you have been saved, the second thing, through faith. And this, the this is the phrase that I'm talking about. The this is for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, none of that is of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace and faith, salvation of its entirety is a free gift of God. A lost, dead, ungodly sinner that was an enemy of God would have never come up with salvation. They didn't want salvation. They just wanted left alone. So this, the whole work of salvation, grace and and faith are gifts of God. What did I tell you? The greatest gift that was ever given is what? Salvation. Can you all say that with me? The greatest gift ever given is salvation. One of the blessings that had to come with that salvation is Jesus Christ. And he came not because of anything we did. The second one and the last one this morning is this. Just as freely as Christ is given by grace, so is the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we Baptists need to get a little more Pentecostal. Sometimes we just run a little bit in the Holy Spirit. We're scared to death that we might let our hair down and run across the pews or something. We have a gift that's going unused by many. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's a blessing. The Son of God has, was given by the Father to bring about our salvation. Amen? Praise the Lord. And just as freely and just as much by grace is the Holy Spirit given to make effectual all the other work of God. He is the one that literally brings it about. And I'll share that a little personal here in just a minute. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Listen, if you're saved, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God. He has given to you. He is the comforter. He has all kinds of abilities to bring to your life. We receive the Holy Spirit as a gift of the Holy Father's love. Jesus says, I got to go back to heaven that I might send you the comforter. 
Embrace Him. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's some things about the Bible that just blow me away. It's the things that the Bible says that we ignore that just blows me away. This, listen to this. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Yeah, to those who ask Him. I would, I would venture to say that way the majority of Christians have never asked God to give them the Holy Spirit. The gift is not bestowed because we're owed it or deserve it. It's just like the other gifts. It's not owed to you, you don't deserve it. Galatians 3.22, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's hearing with faith. It was given to you. Not only is it a gift of grace, but it's a gift of faith. It is of faith and not works that it might be of grace. It's given just like the other gifts. Romans 4, 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to those adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The Spirit is given in answer to the Son's prayer. Listen to this one, John 4, 16. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. You need the Holy Spirit of God. I want to give you Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. It looks like I'm living, but it is, the, it, it is Christ through the Holy Spirit of God living in and through me. I, I tell people all the time, it looks like a 72-year-old, dried-up, gray-headed, white guy that's doing this. It's not in me. It's not me. It's Christ in me. <clears throat> Catechism. Another great study. If, if you've never been through the 134 questions of the children's catechism, you are, you are malnourished theologically. Do you hear me, adults? If you've never been through the 134 questions of the catechism, you are theologically malnourished. It would bless you. Question number 53 is this. How can you receive the Holy Spirit? Answer number 53. God has told us we must pray to Him for the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God, but He tells us how to give it. Ask Him. Luke 11, 9 through 13. But I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? 
And if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. So y'all know what he's talking about here? If the Holy Spirit was not going to be good for you, he wouldn't tell you to ask for it. He wouldn't be giving it to you. He, he's just like a father. He's not going to give it, give it to you unless it's good for you. Listen, the Holy Spirit of God, we need the Holy Spirit of God. I can do nothing without the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your Father, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask Him. All right? I'm going to tell you another thing. Every morning, except Saturday and Sunday, because I'm out of my routine, I I, I take my sins, I roll them over on Christ. I take self off of my throne and place him over on the cross, okay? And then I place Jesus Christ on the throne of my life. And I'm, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Well, here's the, other, here's the other scripture that... I read this scripture and I say, I wonder why people don't do this. It says, uh, uh, for it is by grace you... Uh, let's see, be fi- uh, it's Ephesians chapter 6. It's not coming to me how it kicks off. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his, might, in his strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand the schemes against the devil. He tells us to put on the full armor of God. We, we, we have this armor. I, I'll bet you if they, I bet you if we went out tomorrow and they were shooting real bullets. Okay. I bet we'd put on what we think we might need. Right? Well, when we go out tomorrow, the devil is really shooting real bullets. And he's after you. And he gives us this little ditty. And you kids know what I'm talking about. You got all kinds of crap memorized. I mean, you can just rattle it off, little uh, whatever. We'll put on the full armor of God. And go back to school and run that by your buddies. How about you adults? Put on the full armor of God. And everybody just, um, look at me, I don't need it. Especially us that struggle. Uh, uh, Wait, do what now? Especially us at what? Who would be the first to, to, to get up right now and hold up her hand? You don't struggle with sin. then you need the full armor of God. Because that's what he brings, them fiery darts against you. But we must understand that our prayer will not be accepted and will not be heard if we ask for it thinking we deserve it. Let Let me remind you again. We don't deserve anything. Our sins dictate that we deserve death, hell, and eternal judgment. We must not ask for it as a demand, but when we, with an humble heart, beg God for His Spirit, He will graciously grant it. This is what equips us and makes us fit for His service. Let me wrap this up. The salvation of God is the greatest gift ever given to mankind. The salvation of God is God's greatest gift to mankind. His Son makes it possible. His Holy Spirit applies it to our lives.
That's why those are the two first blessings. So this is kind of, a, this is kind of crazy that, that I'm going to use this analogy here because we just came in chapter 25, which we are just a couple of weeks into chapter 26 of Matthew. We just came to see that the final judgment is based upon works, but our salvation is by grace. So this is, this is an interesting dynamic of how this is all coming together. An objection is often given that men on the last day, the day of final judgment, will be judged according to their works. And we have seen in chapter 25 of Matthew that that's the case. But do we not also know that our good works, are you listening? That our good works are only the fruit of grace that has been freely given and bestowed upon us without which they would not have been any ability to perform anything good. There's nothing we have or do that's good that is not of grace. So we have nothing to boast about. It's all of grace. I'm going to give you just a couple of for examples here. Ephesians 2.10 For we are is what? You know, we're, we're, we're a clock. He's just working it. We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God, perform, which God prepared beforehand, which is walking. He saved us and created us for what? Good works. So would you brag about that? No, look at Ephesians, Philippians 2, 12, 2, 12 and 13. Let's go right to 2, 13. For it is God who works where? in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So how many of those works that you're doing are of your doing? And if they are, they're not good anyway. They would be with the wrong motive. So all that we do is by the what? Grace of God. So who who has anything to boast about? You know what? really shames me is the little good I seem to get done. The little good that I seem to get done. And I wonder if I'm just not making myself as available as I should that he might get more done. Amen? So the judgment is the judgment of works, but the works done... Now listen to this. This... This is good. The judgment is the judgment of works, but the works done are a result of grace and are only evidences of the grace of God at work and our salvation. Works that we're judged by is at judgment, listen to this word, are only evidences of our salvation. That's all they are. Just evidences. What gets us to the right hand of the Father was what, by grace and faith, we have become. Listen, what gets us on the right hand of the Father is the grace of God that brought us to be repenters, believers, and followers of Jesus. When he says, well done, you know who he's saying well done to? the repenters, believers, followers of Jesus over here. What brought us to be repentors? 
what brought us to be followers of Jesus. Grace, faith. So let me ask you this morning, do you possess the greatest gift? Salvation. Has your life been radically changed? That's evidences of grace. Do you have that gift that will be a blessing for eternity? I would say that your best gift today, that next year at this time, you may not even know where it's at. I'm just saying that could be the case. Do you embrace his life, his work, his payment? And here's a good one for you, Baptist. Do you embrace his life, his work, his payment, and his Holy Spirit that is a constant gift to enable us to walk out the life he's left us to live? You'll do a whole lot better job walking this life out, guided by the Holy Spirit, than you will without. He sent you a who? A helper. And that's what we need. Are you in Christ by faith? Do you welcome, ask for, and embrace Christ in you by the Holy Spirit? Let me implore you this morning. Embrace Christ. Welcome the Spirit of God. Be filled by the Holy Spirit and live for God's glory. May God bless the preaching of His Word.